friend, welcome back to the Let's Talk Wildlife podcast episode four. Thank you so much if you have been listening to every episode or even if you've tuned in for one or the other. I, I You know what, I am recording this rather relatively early in the morning, so I am really hoping, fingers crossed, that the majority of this makes some sense, I guess. (laughs) So if I'm talking craziness or none of this is adding up, then I I do apologize in advance. (laughs) This episode, we will be diving into what I personally believe to be just one of the most magnificent birds here on earth. So if you follow the Instagram page, you'll know of the species we'll be having conversation about. If you do follow the Instagram Let's Talk Wildlife podcast, I want to say a huge thank you. I appreciate that so much. Loving the support, all of your messages. It is, um, it makes me smile so much. I, I can't stop. So <laughs> thank you. But Welcome to the Let's Talk Wildlife podcast and let's dive straight into the cassowary. So the incredible cassowary is a large flightless bird uh, amongst others like the emu, the ostrich, penguins and the kiwi bird. Um, They are all flightless birds. The cassowary is the second heaviest. So I will tell you the top three and try to not complicate it as much as possible. Now, the cassowary is the second heaviest flightless bird, uh, coming in second place to the ostrich, which is number one, and the emu is in third place. These three birds um, actually are in the top three for the tallest as well. The ostrich in first place again, followed by the emu this time, and then the cassowary being the third tallest. Something that I think is rather cool about the cassowary is their egg is the third biggest egg of all birds. So if we take a, let's do a chicken egg. A chicken egg is roughly anywhere between 50 and 70 grams. A cassowary egg weighs in at about 580 grams. (laughs) That is a significant difference in sizes there. So there are two species of cassowary, one that inhabits our beautiful country Australia and one the northern cassowary that lives all the way up in Papua New Guinea. The one that resides here in Australia is known as the southern cassowary but it does not live south of Australia. It lives all the way up in far north Queensland from Townsville all the way up to Cape York, the tip of Queensland. These magnificent cassowaries live in rainforests up in our tropical North Queensland. They are frugivores, meaning that they eat fruits. Their diet consists of a lot of fleshy fruits. They can also consume plants as well. They eat roughly about eight kilograms of fruit a day. In the breeding season, it rises significantly all the way up to about 15 kilograms per day. The cassowary is a 
really important species to not just our rainforests or our planet, but also for us, our plants. They are the only animal in the rainforest that can eat certain plants that contain a lot of toxins, a lot of poisons. This passes through the cassowary with no struggle, no problem at all, and the digestive system's really fast. So it goes in, goes out pretty quickly. And what this does is the seeds in these fruit that no other animal can eat, the cassowary spreads this around the rainforest floor. So the cassowary plays a huge role in seed dispersal throughout our rainforests. The cassowary plays an extremely important role in the diversity of our rainforests. Um, It is why they are considered a keystone species. So a keystone species is just a species that has a large effect on the environment. It holds it together. It holds relationships together in our ecosystem. This may not always refer to an animal as being a keystone species. Uh, Plants can be keystone species and microorganisms as well. So in short, the cassowary will eat the seeds. They will then walk throughout the forest couple kilometers they would defecate the seeds um, and this is the seed dispersal and plants rely on this we rely on this our ecosystem other species in the rainforest rely on the cassowary as well so they are really important I cannot stress that enough cassowaries top of the list Uh, they are one of our beautiful keystone species the majority of animals they are solitary they are also super territorial but we will talk a bit about that in a little bit I want to get into something that's really cool well (laughs) I think it's really cool and it's really important and significant to the animal as well so like all birds the cassowary is a direct descendant from dinosaurs and there are a few traits and a few characteristics that the cassowary carries that we can relate back to our dinosaurs. One of those is that they have really large long claws. They also, if you get close enough, safely, please, you will notice they have three toes and on their inner toe, they have a really long claw, sort of like a dagger of some sort. They also have that beautiful blue helmet-like thing sitting on its head this is actually got a scientific name and it is a cask so dinosaurs were what we can find in fossils and what scientists do and work their magic we believe dinosaurs also shared or had this same characteristic <laughs> so this will develop at about one to two years um, of age for the cassowary it's a spongy like material Uh, It's actually made up of keratin, which is exactly what our fingernails uh, are made up of. This is really cool. I like that I can kind of relate, in a way, humans to our wildlife with things like this. The same as snakes. So snakes have two main layers. They have the dermis and the epidermis. And the epidermis is covered completely by keratin. So the same things... (laughs) 
as our fingernails and and our hair and I just it's so fascinating to me that although we think ourselves to be so completely different and we don't want to relate ourselves to our animals and our wildlife we share so many features and traits and characteristics with our wildlife there's a few different animals that pop into my head when I think about this and one is the koala so the koala's fingerprints are sort of indistinguishable from ours so even though our last common ancestor lived more than 100 million years ago our prints um, are very similar to koalas and each individual koala also has its own unique pattern just like us humans (laughs) really cool I also think we we have about, I think it's 850, 800, a bit more than 800 genes that are shared between humans and octopuses. So <laughs> that, that gets very scientific and there's a lot of data to back that up. But we can definitely dive into that in another episode. So back to the cassowary. So this cask that sits on the top of their head, for quite a while, scientists and biologists didn't quite know why it exists. And still to this day, there's there's quite a bit of different um, research papers and information on it. So at first they thought it was... Um, to use during mating maybe the biggest one or the brightest one or something like that claims the more the most females they also believed it was for foraging through the rainforest so that is plausible 100% but there was a study done by the Latrobe University by I believe her name was Danielle Eastick I may be butchering that last name, I apologise if I am, from the Department of Ecology. And they did a study, I think they got a few in captivity from North Queensland and then South, uh, like South Australia down there. And they did studies of the heat. So obviously Queensland is far, North Queensland is significantly hotter than our southern part of Australia. What they noticed was the colour differences from that was, I guess, radiating from the cask from the North Queensland cassowaries compared to the cassowaries taken from down south. So this is a good indication that it may act as a radiator. So it helps them keep cool by releasing heat out of the top of their heads, which again very plausible makes a lot of sense in a way I think it's really cool that these studies are still being done and new things are being found and discovered and new information is coming out it is really interesting so I that's that's plausible that it acts as a radiator so whales or dolphins that live in the arctic you will notice they don't have a dorsal fin like other sharks and whales and dolphins this is because they need to keep as much heat in their body as possible living in such cold climates 
and the dorsal fin acts as a radiator as well, so it releases heat. And our little friends down there in the Arctic definitely <laughs> want to be doing the opposite of that. So they lack, you will notice a beluga whale uh, does not have a dorsal fin, and that is the reason why. Unfortunately, there, there aren't an exact number of how many cassowaries are left in the wild. We believe the number is anywhere around 4,000, maybe a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower. There are some massive threats to our cassowary population. One is humans, um, disease, also habitat loss is the biggest one. We are building railways and roads and houses in their habitat, in their homes, in their environment. So they are in turn coming closer to humans, coming closer to roads. So car accidents um, are a big one that lead to them uh, dying. Fortunately, there hasn't been a lot of human attacks, um, cassowary human attacks. There have been a few. I don't think one has happened though in an extremely long time. So that's a good sign. But unfortunately with the habitat loss, they eat, like I said, eight kilograms a day of food of seeds and plants. So they are adventuring all around and they need that room and that space. Unfortunately, when humans are building, knocking down their trees, building into the rainforest, we're taking away that habitat and that safety net and their homes. So what can we do to help or to support our cassowaries? So there are quite a fair few organisations that are working towards either repopulating our cassowaries, breeding cassowaries, or helping to buy conservation to own it so we can't or companies can't build and destroy their habitats. One organization that I really like is the cassowary recovery team so what they do is they are buying conservation um, up in rainforests to protect them to monitor the cassowaries and also get the community involved they also do a lot of tree planting as well so there will be certain days that they will hold a little event and they will plant 3,000 trees so they are a magnificent organization and they are helping our cassowaries but they are also helping restore our planet and that is so important and I'm so thankful for this organization and a lot of it is volunteer work as well so the volunteers that you know their time is being spent just by the love in their heart for our planet it is it um <laughs> makes me makes me very happy to see and it's it's amazing so thank you to anyone and thank you to anyone who volunteers in general because without volunteers it, the show wouldn't go on you are very important if we lost our cassowaries unfortunately we would then also lose a large portion of our plants and our plant species also native plant species this is a huge problem for our rainforests and then in turn that becomes a huge problem for our ecosystem and then everything is out of whack 
So just by keeping our cassowaries and the population healthy, we can have a healthy planet. Another organisation, well, it's more like a zoo. It's the Rockhampton Zoo. Uh, The Rockhampton Zoo has what they call a backup population breeding program. So at the moment, I don't think they're breeding any cassowaries, but when when a male and female are, they get to know each other and they feel comfortable, they will breed the cassowaries and hopefully have a few babies running around. The backup program is if we do lose a high amount of our wild cassowaries, we can release these backup cassowaries into the wild. It's it's bittersweet because on one hand, it's great that we can do this and we can help our populations. But on the other hand, it's really sad that we have to resort to this. Our populations shouldn't be struggling that much and the majority of it due to human impact. So it's uh, it's bittersweet. It's, you know, good and bad. But, I mean, the good always outweighs the bad, and I think that's a good way to see it, is that we are working to repopulate. We are working to save and to help our cassowaries and to buy conservation and make sure that all of our wildlife has so much land and so much food and they can forage anywhere they want with no humans and I just I think it's absolutely fantastic they have a safe space with buying conservation they and having these protected areas our wildlife can have all the land and the food sources that they could possibly want and need I mentioned before that when we are building or cutting down the rainforests and their homes and building railways, whatever's being built there, they will then start making their way closer to humans. I believe 75% of attacks have been from cassowaries that were fed by humans prior to being to attacking the human. So if you do come across a cassowary, I know Mission Beach, the cassowaries really like to come in close to humans. Don't feed them. This is just common sense. <laughs> Don't feed any wild animal, whether you think that it won't harm you, whether it's a really small rabbit to, you know, known as the most dangerous bird in the world, the beautiful cassowary. Don't be feeding wild animals. Don't be getting close to wild animals because just like over on Fraser Island, the dingoes then get used to this and they start becoming used to humans and coming closer every single time. And we don't want that. We want to live alongside our wildlife. We don't want there to be problems. We, we just, we want to live in peace and harmony and give them space If you do come across a cassowary, stand still, guys. Just stand still, back away, and give the cassowary right of way. They will do their own thing. They, like any other animal, will only attack if they they feel threatened or, you know, you are trying to hand feed a huge two-meter wild bird. (laughs) One thing that they actually do is they can jump about five feet into the air, so 
roughly the same height as me and they start to kick their legs and with that huge dagger-like claw that they have in between their three toes, they will scratch down at your chest and it sounds horrible. It would be even more horrible to witness and to be in that situation. So let's definitely stay clear of our cassowaries and give them space like any other wild animal. It is absolutely incredible to be living alongside these animals and you can see them in the wild. I've been fortunate enough to see them and there are zoos. I think we covered that topic in last week's episode. There are zoos that you can get close to these cassowaries um, with a trainer of course and always safety comes first in every situation but it is they are fantastic they just every single week I think and I go what animal do I want to you know share some some facts and speak about uh, with you guys and it's so hard to decide and choose one because there are so many incredible animals and this just proves it The cassowary is so beautiful and has been living on earth for millions of years. I cannot wait to see what the future holds for them and I truly hope that future generations get to see and interact with cassowaries. Hopefully we can build their populations back up to healthy levels and see them thrive. That is That is the main goal here. So thank you. If you have made it to the end of this episode, I am so thankful. (laughs) Thank you so, so much. Let's hope it all, it all makes sense at the end of the, at the end of the day. But thank you so much. I appreciate your support. I cannot wait to dive into next week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it and I hope you learned a little bit more a lot about the cassowary. I hope it piqued your interest a little bit and if you do ever see yourself up far north Queensland or if you are in a sanctuary and you get to encounter one of these beautiful creatures, take it in guys because they are magnificent and I mean who knows what the future holds but let's stay positive. Thank you so much and I will be seeing you this time next week.